we will move back to our commission agenda first. And that is our introduction. Yes. So. I'd like to welcome our newest member to the commission. So Connie. Yeah. Connie. <laughs> I don't know if you need to say anything or. Yeah, anything you want to share with us? About? No, I'm excited. This is fun. This is, yeah. I put my application in December. This wasn't an issue. <laughs> Before I even knew I was on the council, I was getting messages. So I was like, I don't know. I didn't even know I was on yet. They're on the commission. So I'm excited. And uh, I love Iowa City. I was born here. I lived here for um, a total of 40 years of my 50 years. And so love the place and want the best for it. Okay. Maybe we'll just do a quick round for the other commission members and say, Missy um, Gorms. Uh, Gabe Gotera. I'm Julie Seidel Johnson, Parks and Rec Director. Alex Hackman, the park I last visited was Terry Trublin. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Oakney, Hickory um, Hill. <laughs> uh, Brianna Wills, uh, Broadway Collar Park. Melissa Saranda, Sycamore Greenway. Great. So. Uh, next item on is item number three. We have approval of minutes from the July 13th meeting. Um, so moved. So I have it second. The only thing is my name is on as absent, and I wasn't available. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll annotate that. Okay, thank okay. you. Great. So we have seconded by the city. All in favor say aye. Aye. Any folks? Thank you. So now is the time for uh, public comment. So we saw a number of hands raised. When you um, introduce yourself, if you could please state your name clearly so that we can document it, as well as address. Is that correct? And name and city. Oh, and if you want to come up and speak, maybe talk right at the end of our table so the mic will catch you as well. Um. Sorry. She's going to help me just show you. So, yes, I'm Justin Fishbaugh, Iowa City. It's been proposed by the Parks and Recreation Department that the Robert A. Lee Pool be closed. One of the reasons cited for that decision is that it's too expensive to repair. I want to show you that the costs shown in the conditions of pools report do not support that conclusion. What it shows is that the pool and natatorium could be repaired for $579,000 not the 4.5 to 5 million reported to the public. The difference is because expenses for RA Lee pool repairs are being lumped into the, into the cost for the entire RA Lee building and then reported as the cost to fix the pool. For example, one of the recommended repairs to the RAL building is roof replacement at 1.5 million in the next four years. This is a necessary periodic expense that protects the gymnasium, locker rooms, offices, and meeting rooms they're all part of the building structure of the RAL facility, not just the pool. For comparison's sake, for comparison's sake, the same report shows Mercer Aquatic Center also needs a new roof within the next four years at a cost of 2.4 million. So I'll show you how I arrived at the $579,000 to repair the pool by pointing out the specific pages in the report. So starting on page 71. WT Engineering, the group that just looked at the pools, has a table of recommended repairs. Using the most expensive estimate for each of these repairs, the repairs totaled $471,000. That total includes $80,000 for a search tank and $90,000 for pool filters, shown on page 72, that are already in the Parks and Rec Department's budget. So on page 61, item five says, 
The city of Iowa City has already budgeted for replacement of the existing surge tank. And on page 62, item seven says, reports, uh, the report says the filters and surge tank have been budgeted to be replaced. If you jump to 67, item three says, staff indicated that the surge tank structure is in very poor condition and budgeted to be replaced. In the back of the report on page 225, the table showing existing capital funding for fiscal year 23, that Robert A. Lee Pool has $640,000 budgeted for the pool filter and HVAC systems. I want to re-emphasize that I have included the surge tank and pool filters in that $471,000 pool repair. Okay, I'm going to switch with my wife and she's going to finish this. Are you starting in three minutes? Yes. Okay. You're good enough. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, and was that 30 seconds? Oh, I'm sorry. That was your 30. You're done now. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for the 30-second 30 30 warning. Okay. Get to you. All right. This is really a joke, isn't it? Seriously, this is important information that you should know. When is the time starting? Yeah, it started. Sorry. No. No. Start it now. It's. Started. Go ahead. We, we do the okay. same procedure that counts. All right here. So, yeah. So the budget shows that. So if we go to back to page seventy. Okay. Go ahead. WT Engineering shows that their recommended pool repairs take place over a five-year period, with priority one items needing done within a year. Now, if we look at Williams Architect Report, which just considers the building, you'll see that the key finding summary table at the bottom of page 83, that a total capital needed to repair the building is 4.1 million over 10 years. If it was done right now, it'd be 2.7 million. But at, at 10 years, it's 80% inflation rate, so that's how you get to the 4.1. It does not include the cost of WT engineering estimate, but it does include the cost to the repair of the natatorium, which is the pool enclosure. If you look at the table on page 85, provided by Williams Architects, the left-hand side shows the description for each item of repair. If you look at the fifth to sixth lines from the bottom, you'll see those are labeled natatorium. If you look at the column labeled priority one, which is the fifth column from the right, you'll see that the two natatorium repairs of $106,000 and $2,000 comes to $108,000. Okay, let's look at these numbers. It's complicated, I'm trying to go fast. You didn't give me my time. When you add the 471,000, that's from WT Engineering to the 108 from the Williams Report, which is the building natatorium repair, you get a total of $579,000. This is nowhere near the 4.5 to 5 million the very done consultants reported in their Gather Here Master Plan, or the 4.7 million that the Parks and Rec Department continues to report, as is shown on page 184 of the repair to repair the pool. So, in conclusion, the WT Engineering report says that the RAL pool is in fair condition for its age. It doesn't leak water. If repairs were made, Iowa City could operate the pool for many years for a cost at less than $600,000, which is eight times less than what's being reported. I recommend making this investment so we can have a top-notch swimming facility as an important part of our vibrant downtown.
in the audience. The commission received, uh, you'll need to hand those out up here, please. The commission received that in an email along with the information that staff will be meeting with this group to talk about and explain all the things that they just brought up. So we won't get into that tonight, but staff has set up a time with the city manager and myself to go through each one of those to explain what they're saying and what they're asserting. So just want to let you know. Okay. Can I ask, will there be a summation of the points to go to us so, just so we can kind of... There will be. Okay. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why we're waiting until next month to have the discussion about the aquatic facilities and everything is to give all this time for people to, to get their comments. It looks like we have pickleball. All right. Yes. There's a few of us here from pickleball. If you can introduce yourself. Yes. I'm Dwayne Miller, one of three local pickleball ambassadors. Our primary task is to promote pickleball. You know, the, 10 years ago, if I mentioned pickleball, I'd get a blank stare. Today, it's more recognizable. Why is it America's fastest growing sport? Why is it exploding in popularity? One source gives these four key points. It's fun for all ages. It's easy to learn. It keeps you fit and healthy, and it's a lifetime sport. I like what one 54-year-old player said who is now a pickleball pro. Pickleball is the only sport where my whole family, from my kids to my parents, can play together and have a blast. Please refer to my handout, and you will see that the sports and fitness industry shows pickleball has grown 39% in two years. The bottom graph show, excuse me, shows that it's nearly doubled in seven years. This same organization reports that Iowa is among the states with the highest growth rate. This was new to me. Our region is growing at 30% a year, and that's more than other regions. Our local club, we call ourselves, as my shirt says, Pickleball Johnson County, and we have a membership of nearly 500. A couple days ago it was 495. And I'm going to read, I'm ready to deposit six new members tomorrow. Uh, NPR reports. Cities nationwide are struggling to meet the demand for pickleball venues. So many, in fact, that the USA Pickleball Association is preparing and putting together a toolkit for community planners with guidelines and with cost estimates for building courts. Demand for pickleball facilities is, will keep growing. Please give us your support. Thank you. City, and I'm on the Pickleball Johns Connery Advisory Board. I'm here to talk about the need for new and additional pickleball courts at Mercy Park and in Iowa City. We have 500 members of Pickleball Johnson County. Johnson, uh, pickleball Johnson County, we use a program called Playtime Scheduler, where you can sign up on this scheduler, start a game, join a game, 
And just to give you an example, in the month of July, we had 977 players who signed up through playtime schedule to play at Mercer, which averages 31.5 players a day, which is not close to what actually played because there's a lot of people in Johnson County that play at Mercer who don't belong to Johnson County or Pickleball Johnson County, and they don't use the scheduler. We have a lot of families that come out on nights and weekends. There are numerous young people. We're seeing more young college students, young you know, students play. We have church groups that show up. We have medical student groups that come. Friends, co-workers, they all play. They don't belong to Johnson, or Pickleball Johnson County. They don't use the scheduler. So that 922 for the month of July doesn't count any of those. About three weeks ago, a bench showed up at Mercer Park, and we want to thank whoever brought that bench because it's been wonderful. We're just wondering, is there any chance the Parks and Recs could find more benches? We don't want new benches. We aren't asking new ones, just benches to, to, so we can sit down and put on our court shoes, sit down during the games while we're waiting to play. There are three benches at the building in between the two parking lots of Mercer Park. I know they aren't the greatest benches. They're cement things with just a bench across. But anyway, they could be moved over to the pickleball court so that we could use them. Just asking for that. Um, the other thing is, any way it's feasible to make a barrier down the middle of the courts. Balls are going across, and people are tripping and falling, and we don't want to have broken bones again from that. We have one gentleman who very easily took wood slats, put plastic across them, stapled them, and he connects them to the open gates. And is there any way we could do that just down the middle and leave them there? We're asking for that. Um, the other thing is we're having a problem with wasps. And I talked to Stu yesterday, and he's out of wasp spray. We had a gentleman from Pickleball. We do everything ourselves over there. I've killed poison ivy. Thank so you. thank you. 30 seconds. You have 30 okay. seconds. Um, anyway, we could get wasp spray when I'm not there. A lot of people don't bring it and just fill the holes on the on the gates of the or the fence posts so that we can keep the wasp away. Um, those are the things I want. We need more pickleball courts. I know it's in the plan, the master plan, but we have eight, three tennis courts. Maybe one gets used the entire time we're there. Could we get 12 pickleball courts? Thank you. <laughs> okay, just to remind everybody, what I'm doing is, oops, sorry, now it's really good. What I'm doing is when you have 30 seconds left, that's when I raise my hand, and that means you have 30 seconds left. We also just passed out my business card, so if you don't hear the question asked that you want to ask and you don't want to ask it tonight, you are certainly welcome to send me questions via email and we'll do like we did last month, which we combined all of those and answered them and sent them back out. It won't be till Monday as I will be out of the office uh, for a funeral the next two days, but that is another option if you have questions that don't get answered tonight that you can email them to us. So. I, I was able to do half the work. Oh, okay. They're going to be there in my, uh, one of my doors. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, my name is Myra Clark, and I live in Coralville. I am a member of the Pickleball Johnson County organization, and I am also a pickleball ambassador. And our job is to promote pickleball. Um, what I normally do is give pickleball lessons, and when we get really busy with the three pickleball ambassadors. Mary Ellen Hine also helps us with uh, giving pickleball lessons. Um, the pickleball lessons are Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. 
We've given them a Green State Family Fieldhouse, Mercer Park Outdoor Pickleball Courts, City Park in Iowa City, and we've also given them here in Robert Lee. Uh, this uh, Sunday morning, we are giving pickleball lessons at the Outdoor Corval Courts. I offered pickleball lessons to the synagogue, Aguda Sechim Congregation, and I have two pickleball players that have volunteered to help me give pickleball lessons, Chuck Freeman and Jeff Angelberg. I average about four new pickleball players a day, which would be 16 a week. The numbers are growing. We're going to need more pickleball courts in the future. Um, you are welcome. I would love to give you all pickleball lessons. <laughs> so um, it is to everyone's benefit if the city pickleball courts are well maintained and the amenities such as shaded rest areas, water fountain, and benches are provided. I have been playing pickleball for 13 years and I love it and it's a lot of fun. Pickleball started in 1965 in Bainbridge Island, just a short ferry ride away from Seattle, Washington. Pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America. Thank you. My name is uh, Jim Broffitt. I'm also a pickleball, USA Pickleball Ambassador. I'm sitting in a handout around. I want to tell you about some pickleball courts in Alabama where I go to visit family. There are two cities right next to each other, Auburn, home of Auburn University, and Opelika. And it's just like very similar to its size and makeup to uh, Iowa City and Coralville. I don't always know which city I'm in. They're right next to each other. In Opelika, three years ago, they built 12 pickleball courts. It's a state-of-the-art facility. There are three rows of four courts each. In between those rows, they have an aisle with benches, and you can see it in the first picture on the handout I just sent around. That's a great uh, convenience, something we need at Mercer Park. It's a place for players to congregate between games. We don't have that now, and we'll have 30, 40, 50 people there at one time playing to play, and they got to stand on a court, so we can't use that court because uh, there's no place for them to, to stand or sit, actually. So that's a great feature. The other is there's a canopy over these courts, and so that protects them from sun. And you can play in the rain. I was there last uh, September and played with my grandson in a pouring rain. We didn't get wet. So those are two great features something I hope you will consider for Iowa City, the aisle and the canopy. Uh, they built, this year, they built 12 more courts just like those with the canopy. And that gives them 24 courts where they can have major tournaments if they just had one. I talked to this uh, a city clerk in Opelika a few days ago. They had 800 participants come. They come from all over, out of state. They stay in hotels, eat at restaurants, bring their families, buy gas, buy clothes, other things. Uh, he figured that the economic impact from that one tournament would be a million dollars. And he thinks that these courts are going to pay for themselves eventually. Anyway, I hope you will consider that kind of a thing for Iowa, uh, for Purser Park or someplace in Iowa City. Uh, it's interesting, the company that built the cover over the courts, called Clearspan, they're headquartered in Connecticut, but they make all their, they manufacture all their uh, products that they use for construction in Dyersville, Iowa. Mm -hmm. And I 
Yes, I talked to uh, them the other day and asked about our, because of our weather, the snow, et cetera, and they said there's no problem with that. They have structures that will handle that. So I hope you'll consider these two things, the aisle and the cover, and especially the aisle. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. My name is Anna Stapleton, and as a 36-year RAL pool user, I'd like to address two points. First, pool users would like hours at RAL pool reinstated, and I have a constructive, a constructive solution. Restore hours so the RAL pool is open from 6.15 a.m. to 6 p.m., like it was for years, until hours were slashed in January. If staff encounter a shortage of lifeguards, one excuse I was told last spring, move lifeguards from Mercer to REL for the 9 to 11 a.m. shift and 1 to 6 p.m. This would be a fair solution for REL pool users since we've been inconvenienced for months. At the Parks and Rec meeting in March, I explained how the decrease in REL hours prevents many people from using the pool, especially those who swim in the afternoons after work in school. Currently, the REL pool is only open 4.75 hours a day, Monday through Friday, from 6.15 to 9 and 11 to 1. As the Gather Here Recreation Facilities and Programs Master Plan explains, aquatics ranks number one above all other program enrollments and for indoor pools, a downtown central location, quote unquote, is preferred. Please reinstate REL pool hours this month. Second, I want to address the inaccurate and misleading representation of pool usage in the July 13th Iowa City Parks and Recreation Condition of Pools report. Five categories of REL pool users are either undercounted or not counted at all, which greatly skews understanding of who is actually using the pool. First, the report omits the total number of people using the REL pool at any one time. In January, after I talked to Brad Barker to ask about the grassy cutting hours, I began counting pool users each time I swim. Different times, different days. The average number of pool users is more than seven at the time I get in the pool, and many days the number is over 15. Other pool users have also been counting, and their numbers average greater than seven users. The pool has six lap lanes and a deep water well, which accommodate pool users and a variety of activities. And nowhere in the report are the robust daily numbers listed clearly. Instead, the report is misleading and inaccurate, claiming to report lap swimmers separately from others, but even those numbers don't accurately reflect my experience as a lap swimmer. Also, multiple pool users come and go during any one hour. Second, aquasizers are undercounted, and yet classes regularly include 12 to 15 participants. In fact, I avoid going on the two days a week they meet since the pool is so full up to 19 in the pool the last time I attended class. I mean, I was there during their class. Instead, the report simply lists water fitness registration separately, not the number of people in the pool or the number of days they attend. Third, no pool numbers are included for Sunday Thank evening. That's swim. your time. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. I'm Jack Stapleton. I also live in Iowa City. And uh, if I say I, I mean, my wife Ann, because she is the regular swimmer in our family. Third, no numbers are included for Sunday evening swim when many families attend. Swim lessons and special events during the year, so potentially hundreds of pool users are undercounted. Fourth, pass holders are undercounted. During Parks and Recreation Commission meeting of July 13th, tour pool facility is available on video. Matt Idol, 
uh, reports that unique pass holders are discounted one time in the month. So someone like um, my wife who has a pass is counted once, but she goes almost every day. From what I understand him saying, or what my wife understands him saying, an individual could use the pool every day of the week, but only be counted once per month. Fifth, ICPR staff and Red Cross training are not counted. That's an extremely important use of the RA pool for the community, for saving lives and our swimmers, etc. So in conclusion, Anne is puzzled, and I am too, by the continued and accurate reporting of pool use despite easily obtainable data. For example, during the June 21st City Council work session, uh, Julie Seidel Johnson said that, quote, it's not uncommon to have zero, one, or two lap swimmers for a greater portion of the day, unquote. But the RAL pool isn't open most of the day. And when it is, pool use is far higher than, than, it, than what's stated in that from my wife's experience. Uh, and that does not include lap swimmers, aquasizers, lap walkers, and deep well users. Likewise, in the Daily Iowa, published July 6th, Emily Delgado reports that Seidel, quote, Seidel Johnson said it is unusual to see more than two lap swimmers in the pool, unquote. That's neither my wife's experience nor the experience of others. Just this afternoon, today, in the RAL locker room, a fellow swimmer told me that she avoids arriving at 11 during the week because all six lanes are full of lap swimmers, and she has to wait for a lane. I, too, have experienced lanes full of lap swimmers on multiple occasions. By the way, as a contract, I, and went to Mercer at 1.30 this afternoon, only one person was lap swimming. Well, this doesn't make the papers. Despite drastically slashed hours, and as pool users can attest, the RAO pool continues to see robust usage, thus meeting community needs in an appealing, accessible location. The committee commitment to repair the warm water jewel would result in years of benefit to Iowa City residents, so please continue to fund and maintain this valuable, well-utilized community. speaking in opposition to the plan to move indoor aquatic activities to Mercer Pool. And I want to address two specific issues. One is scheduling. As a part of my job, I schedule. I make sure that we have the right room with the right capacity for the right event. And I ask Parks and Rec to give us a schedule. Let us know how are you going to merge all of the activities of the busy Robert A. Lee Pool with the activities of the busy Mercer pool, which include last swim, water walkers, aqua size, deep water uh, aqua size, private swim lessons, group swim lessons, which shut down the pool, Red Cross training, junior lifeguards, staff and services, birthday parties, events like egg hunt, New Year's Eve um, events for kids, family night, and I'm sure there are lots of things I'm not even capturing because I don't know. But I want to see how it's going to work. Swim team. That's huge. Huge. Iowa City Eels and City High Boys and Girls work out at Mercer. It closes down the deep water lanes. How is that going to work? Who's going to be excluded from the water and who gets in? Who decides? We'd like to see a schedule as you consider and before you make any decisions. Because that is key. There were 23 of us in the pool this morning. I was one of them. We want to know how we're going to fit and when we're going to fit. And I think that's a reasonable question before you make a decision. Another thing I think you really need to think about is equity. The Robert A. Lee pool is close to the Clinton and Washington bus exchange. 
anybody who doesn't drive, can't afford gas, doesn't have a car, can get to Robert A. Lee. It's only 0.5 miles. Mercer, and I'm a bus rider, so I know this. Mercer is only accessible on one bus route, Towncrest. Unless you live on Towncrest, you have to transfer. If you miss your transfer, you miss your swim. If you can't drive, you miss your swim. So I think the equities are really important. And finally, I want to praise the city for something that it does that makes me so proud, makes me deeply happy, the free swimming lessons for low-income people. Swimming is a lifetime sport. Swimming is a life-saving sport. And what the city has done has probably saved lives because people are more comfortable and more skilled in the water. It's a special point of equity for people of color. It's a special point of equity for low-income people. And if you take the water away, you're taking that option of enjoying the water and surviving in the water. I thank you for your time. It's a life-saving sport. Hi, everybody. My name is Dan Katalinich, and uh, I live on Fifth Avenue in Iowa City. I'm an avid, very passionate swimmer, and I'm supporting uh, maintaining our facilities, Robert A. Lee, which I affectionately call the tub. I love jumping in there after coming here when it's super cold in the winter. And, uh, and I swim three times a week at uh, City Park Pool, which is uh, yeah, uh, just a gem. But uh, first of all, with regard to Robert A. Lee, I, just to echo uh, the previous speaker's comments, I think if you support diversity, equity, and inclusion, you will repair this pool and not fill it in. Just because of what she said, there's so, such a greater density of uh, people who can access this pool. It's very affordable. And having been a past president of uh, the Iowa City Eagle Swim Club, and a, uh, a City High uh, swim parent, uh, I can also attest to how many hours uh, Mercer Park is closed to everyone. And when, when it's closed for swim meets, it's nobody gets in to do anything. And that is very uh, uninclusive, and we need to have a facility like this that's warm, it's welcoming, it's accessible, and it can be enjoyed by so many people uh, in, in, in the central part of our community. So there's, there's no, you can't replicate it. This is a location, location, location. Uh, and I think if you care about those people and you believe in diversity and you believe in equity and you believe in inclusion, then you will fix Robert A. Lee and, uh, and not fill it in. City Park Pool, I've swum all over the world in pools. It's a gem, it, the, the, the oak canopy with that large uh, current platform that we have, that configuration should not be changed. Uh, I, I completely agree we should accommodate something that has a zero uh, depth because that's the way you get kids to feel safe in the water because they can enjoy it at their own speed and something like that is, would be an incredible addition. Uh, I've been in the locker rooms and I'm the only one there many times, all times a day. Those locker rooms were designed for a different demographic. They could be- 30 seconds. Okay, thank you. Uh, they could be reduced. You could get real estate uh, from the locker rooms. Uh, I, 
it's so important to maintain the historic and aesthetic aspect of the original footprint of City Park Pool. Add something to bring more people in, but do not change that setting, which is really, really world class. Thank you. Before we begin, how many more are hoping to speak during the public comment portion? So significantly more than we asked at the beginning of the meeting. So, yeah. yeah. So it looks like four. I'm going to be short. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be very short. Oh, I'll be very short. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. Ann Tabor. I live on Court Street in Iowa City, and I'm a swimmer. But I also have learned to play pickleball, so I was so delighted to hear these folks um, tonight come and talk about pickleball. It is taking over the world, so you got to learn it, right? Um, but they play at mainly, as uh, the ambassadors were saying, at Green State the family field house. They charge a fee, which is quite a bit, right? If you're a pickleball player, you have to pay 3 to $5 each time you go in the field house to play. Um, it's a revenue generating option. And I would say, for Iowa City, that would be the case. And I would say that you should accommodate the growing pickleball, indoor pickleball need, and especially in the wintertime. Delighted to hear that they talked that there might be a toolkit available in the near future for cities to look at how to do this. I would urge you strongly not to fill in the pool where I take two aqua um, exercise lessons or classes each week. Um, it is a classic pool, and um, if there was more promotion, I would think you'd see more usage. Um, you know, that. Um, when we started talking about not having the pool there, people were like, what, not having a pool at Robert A. Lee? Um, that it's uncomprehensible. And it, when you look at, I had a couple comments on demographics as we see more and more apartment buildings growing in Iowa City, downtown Iowa City, to take away some of the recreation opportunities that are here, downtown I think is not a great idea also. So thanks for your time. Thank you. Susan Melliker, and I was one of the letter writers of the letters that you guys have gotten. Um, I was, I'm sorry the pickleball was left because I was going to give him a nod and say, I have a lot of friends that play pickleball. I have never played it because I've been a lifelong swimmer. And swimming is also a sport that you can do with any member of your family at any age for the, your entire life. So just wanted to point that out. Um, many of my colleagues here on the Save the RIL Pool team have um, pointed out the usage numbers and the disparity in those. Um, I'll just reiterate that. There were 22 people in the RIL pool this morning between 8 and 9 when we had aquasize. 18 of those were aquasizers. Um, two people were swimming laps and two people were in the deep end. And that is typical. And people are not flocking to this pool because they've heard it's going to be closed. They're, I mean, this pool has not even been open for a year post-pandemic, number one. I mean, I think it opened last September or October. So we're not even in that first year. And so things are just starting to come back. And people are just starting to come back to group fitness, you know, from two and a half years of nothing. So I just wanted to point that, at, that out as well. Um, you know, there was a gentleman by the name of Ed Stone who led this uh, 
I don't know what to call it, campaign years ago with the Iverson's uh, school district called Two Fine Schools. And it was because he didn't believe they should build a third high school, okay? Well, I'm here to launch a new campaign called Three Fine Pools. You know? <laughs> I, I believe in this community, with 56% of the people in the survey saying that aquatics was the most important thing to them, that we can have three fine pools. And I do believe that we can accommodate the city park, you know, the young families that want a ladder and, you know, a slide and something else in a section of the area that the city park pool is already in while leaving the aesthetics exactly the same of the rest of the pool with a zero entry. Um, I believe that we can update this pool, as Jill and Justin have so eloquently pointed out, financially. Um, and I believe that, you know, Mercer's already, I mean, I went been to Mercer a couple times this summer and nobody was there. Um, but the city park's open, so I understand that. And the third thing I wanted to say is that it bothers me that I have a perception that you, you don't think that your vote matters, that the city council is going to do what they're going to do. And we've talked to several uh, city council people, and one of them said, if 150 people did not come to the Parks and Rec Commission meeting, there would be a development at Hickory Hill Park right now. So okay, your thank you. vote matters. Thank you. Hi there, I'm doing show and tell here. My name is Amy Kretkowski, and I live here in Iowa City, and I am um, an, uh, an equal opportunity swimmer. I swim at the Robert A. Lee, which I love, and I'm here to express my support for please keeping this pool, don't get rid of this pool. I also swim every summer at the City Park Pool, and it's the thing that makes summer here in Iowa City so incredibly, incredibly special. Um, I would just like to reiterate what Sue just said. I would like to reiterate what Karen said about come up with a schedule. Because if we're going from summertime, essentially in the summer, you know, we have 15 lanes between the downtown Robert A. Lee and the city park pool. It'll go down to three lanes for lap swimming. That's not going to accommodate all the current swimmers who use both pools. Um, yeah, so, so just please think about that. Um, there was uh, this, this question of accommodation and usage came up at the uh, July 13th pool tour. And the response to the question was that the data um, of the Robert A. Lee use suggests that current use could be accommodated at the two pools if an addition is added at Mercer. So the problem with that is twofold. First, we all know about the concerns with the data about the Robert A. Lee usage, number one. Number two, what's the second pool? What is the second pool in that response? Because if Robert A. Lee closes, City Park Pool is only open in the summer. There are no two pools. And there's only one pool open year round to accommodate all the lap swimmers in this town. So please, please keep this is on. You haven't had one from me. My name's Eleanor Steele, and I'm coming here pretty unprepared tonight. 
And I'm really coming here as a community member. I do not use this pool, but I want it to remain here. Um, I actually was practically born in the water when my family moved here in 1967. I've been here almost as long as Sue. Uh, the first thing my parents did was get passes to the pool. We swam in this pool, we swam at City Park Pool almost every single day. We were on swim team. I don't swim now, but to me there's a more critical issue related to the pool and um, having the pool in the city center. I do come to you very biased. I, as I said, I uh, used this pool a lot as a child. My family's church was right over here. My parents worked at the university. I lived a mile from downtown. I'm a townie. My husband owned a business three blocks from here for 35 years before he passed away. So I'm not just a townie, I'm a downtownie. And that, to me, is what's really critical. You know, sometimes when we hire consultants to help us figure out what to do, we already have a preconceived idea of what that something is. And I really hope that that's not what happened here. I feel like we didn't frame the questions appropriately to the consultant. Should the question have been, how do we keep this pool and make it more vibrant, make it more welcoming, make it a better place for what the community has become? Um, people have already pointed out the reasons that that's critical. But um, I was reading an article before I came here, and there was a wonderful quote from Mark Cannon. I don't know if he's here tonight. <laughs> you cannot put a price tag on what it means to keep a center in a town, to keep the heart and soul and the gathering space of a downtown. That's my bias. But it's also what we know is good business for communities. It's what draws people to Iowa City. And I'm wondering why we didn't look first at how to preserve this, to this pool. It's ironic that the master plan has gathered here in the title, because that is what you do downtown. Um, it's always been true, and it should remain true. If we want to maintain a way of life that attracts the diverse and talented community we all enjoy, um, we need to follow and listen to Mr. Cannon's words. Downtown is our heart and soul, our community builder, our equalizer, our economic engine, and what makes us a city to envy. Thank you. up here, so if you can't hear me, please let me know. I wrote a letter that we should have received, but I do have hard copies that I would like to hand out if that's possible. I don't know what your procedure is. Yeah, they but, did receive them yesterday. But I would like them to have this hard copy. Um, is that okay? Yeah, by, to by, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm one of those people that was drawn here. very upset that I feel like I've been lied to. I worked for the government for 23 years. 
and used my whole career to try to dispel the myth of government workers. Now, when I read this report, it makes me question the very reason that we moved here. For the lie to be stated on the front of this report that the pool is going to cost $4.5 to $5 million to fix when that is not even remotely true if you look at the numbers that were provided in the condition of the pools report. That hurts me. These selective and flawed attendance data also continue to be provided by the department. I'm in the pool frequently. None of what they have stated on any of their charts has been my experience. Tonight, we are presented with a new chart. It has been represented that we're not going to talk about facilities today. On page 82 of the master plan, section 4, which is part of what you're reviewing tonight, there's a new chart with more new attendance numbers comparing swimmers per hour by month and facility. In the related text, it describes 293 total visits by pool swimmers in May 2022 to RAL. Yet, page 148 of the condition of the pool report indicates that the RAL pool had 714 passes for May. I'm asking that you all read my email, my letter that I wrote, since I'm not a good speaker. And I would ask you also to not rely on the summary of any of my comments that is provided by anybody else. I want you to hear my words. Please don't approve section, any portion of section four in the draft master plan that pertains to REL pool until the source of this new data is provided and we have had the opportunity to review and comment. showing up and reciting poetry like Iowa City is going to do. <laughs> um, I guess I just have a story about the pool. I also feel anxious and I'm emotional about it. But um, these are the pool passes um, that I didn't know about it. My 90-year-old friend Gretchen Rigovin, um told me about it. She said it was free. I could just go down and get a picture. I like my picture, which, is, which never happens usually on a driver's license of sort. And, um, we would go every week, uh, sometimes twice a week, and she'd do her physical therapy, and I would also do my form of physical therapy, and then I would go 10 minutes longer than she would, and she'd go outside and smoke in the front. Um, <laughs> and she was 89 when we were going, um, and it kept her alive, and honestly, those are uh, some cherished memories I have with her. She passed uh, last December, the, the 27th, and, um, I didn't have a memory of her. So I came back here and I asked the front clerk if, if she could maybe print off one of these passes of, of correction. And so she did. So I carried this in my purse. What I will say about it is every time we <laughs> went to the workout room, um, 
there were, of, of course, diversity, but there were black folk. There were black folk every time, and it felt, made me feel so safe. Um, I think, I don't think that. Um, also, of course, in terms of age, there was diversity and able-bodied, and it was just their birthday parties, all the noises. It was exciting and safe. That's, that's what I always felt. Um, it's also an established place, like so many of our businesses used to be here in Iowa City downtown area, which is special. And a friend of mine said recently, she owns Utopia, she says, we need to ask the city, what do we want our downtown to look like? I think it's an important question because some of the old businesses are fading because of rent hikes, et cetera, and sales to people who might not have the community-minded spirit at the forefront. Um, but it's, it's special, downtown Iowa City is special, and this is a part of Iowa City downtown. And so I would hope that how established it is, how much history, I mean, historical preservation, then um, that could be considered. And I just found out about the city park thing. Please, please don't touch that beautiful oak canopy, whatever happens. It's so special, and we've cut down 10,000 ash trees recently. So you know how long it takes an oak to grow. Thank you. to close down the building itself. This is, there's only a, a recommendation about the swimming pool, not the fitness area, the gyms, or anything else. Just so you know. Uh, my name is Mark Cannon, and I'm a sub tonight, and, and I'm also wearing glasses that somebody gave me, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, did you know that Iowa City is where the butterfly stroke was created in 1934? and where in 1968 the city determined its citizens needed three pools. Since that time, Iowa City population has grown 60% and Iowa Cityans continue to highly value aquatics. They ranked aquatics as the most popular activity in the master plan survey. Aquatics is one of the few activities you can do from a young age and all the way into your 90s and beyond. So I ask, why do we recommend closing the pool? It's been reported that RAA pool has low use, but hours have been drastically cut and hundreds have, haven't been counted all during the continuing COVID pandemic. It's been claimed that RAA Lee pool is too expensive to repair, but the architects and engineers themselves say otherwise. It's been suggested that there aren't enough lifeguards, but Kate Connell has created a successful junior lifeguard program that is a pipeline to lifeguarding jobs that help people provide 150 lifeguards this summer. The proposed additional warm water pool at Mercer is expensive, has very limited use, and is not centrally located. It doesn't fill the aqua fitness needs that the pool already provides at half the cost. The community is on our side. As of this evening, we have more than 500 people who have signed on in support of our efforts to keep Robert A. Lee open including some downtown business owners who know that swimmers who use the pool also get coffee, shop, run errands downtown afterwards. The RA Lee pool is good for economic development. It helps keep our downtown vibrant. It has a value to our community that transcends the amount of dollars invested or the revenues gained from the fees. If there is, here's another question, this is mine. If there is only one pool and it has to be maintained, think of the winner now, what happens? Where do people swim? Okay. Finally, Iowa City is a town that loves to swim. We need our three pool pools. 
please continue to fund and maintain the RID pool. Thank you.
So we'll now proceed to the next item on the agenda, which is item number five. So the 2022 RUAP grant. I'll give it a second to shake out. Oh, thank you. That section is not as full of invasive species like the others. That's a lot more 
um, Hague field right now, so yes. it's just a little less expensive to okay. um, deal with up front than some of these other tasks. Good question. Anything else?
With the methods for engagement, the first round, we had a statistically valid survey. We hired a firm that was in addition to what our, originally what our proposal was to make sure that we had a statistically valid survey that we could supplement the other engagement that we we're um, gathering for this project. We then opened that survey up. Once we collected the appropriate amount of data, we opened that up to the uh, community to be able to partake in that survey as well. Um, we had focus groups. We had 10 different groups that, um, about 10 different groups from uh, various backgrounds. Some of them utilized our program, some of them didn't. And that was a big thing that we wanted to reach out to different community organizations to find out why they didn't participate in our programs and what we could do to make it more inviting. Um, we had pop-up events in person. We had about 17 of those and then a couple at the library. So we made sure that we got out to different parks, different areas of the community to talk to people in person. And then we had a social pinpoint website that had a variety of different surveys for both users and non-users. Then, of course, we had the round two, which had the open house, um, which is our in-person gathering feedback, and then the social pinpoint website that had some surveys. That was our virtual one. Just let's make a note. So, Chris, you have to leave at 6.30. Oh, you do actually turn into a pumpkin. He does. So we will not have quorum, so we will have to wrap up by 6.30. OK. So so we had 2,000. Yep. No, that's good. So we had 2,000 separate touch points from from all that engagement. So a lot of different people participated in this. So the recreation programs assessment. Um, we wanted to identify program strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities for program direction in the future. So that was what was guiding this recreation program assessment part of it. So first thing I want to talk about is the program menu. So we, had our, we have our different core program areas. So the, the program menu is essentially referring to the programs that we offer throughout the course of the year. If you look at our activity guide, it's got all the different activities that we offer. We do three seasons of that. That's our program menu. And so looking at the core program areas, it's a lot of the usual suspects that you typically would find. Um, and there's a lot of programs, a wide variety contained within those core program areas. Um, other service amenities talks about um, the athletic fields that we utilize, um, dog parks, uh, rental services. Uh, we have rental services over at Terry Trueblood. Those would be the different types of other services amenities that we offer. Service formats, typically um, a drop-in format if people are coming to, to swim or if they're going to play basketball. Those are typically our drop-ins. Um, most of our programs that we do that we're going to be referring to today refer to the pre-registration numbers, so people that are enrolling in our programs, because that's where we actually have the data to, to show how many people we have. Um, and then events is another type of service format that we offer. So the program inventory, um, there's, that's kind of referring to the core program area and comparatively to national benchmarks, national standards comparatively to a lot of parks and recreation departments within the country. Um, we're pretty much on par with the number of different core program areas that we serve. Some places offer different ones, like childcare is an example of something that some people might offer. Extreme sports might be another example. We don't offer those types of things, but comparatively, we're, we're pretty much on par with having the same number of core program areas. They just might be different from department to department. Program distribution, so when we talk about aquatics being a highly programmed area, 50% of the programs that are offered are in aquatics. 
So that's, that's a lot of our, uh, what makes up most of that is we have a lot of different classes for um, aqua fitness. We have um, a lot of swim lesson classes. So if you think about um, lesson one or level one, that's one program. Level two, that's another program, so on and so forth. So that's, that's kind of what makes that number maybe a little bit bigger. Um, but it is definitely a big part of what we do from a programming perspective. Uh, youth sports um, takes up about 14%, so 225. So one thing I should note, this is based on 2019 numbers. When we did the data analysis and looked at all the different programs, um, most of what you're gonna see here in the data analysis is from 2019, because that was really the last year that we had a full year without cancellations and COVID and all of that. This year will, will be our, our new normal year, hopefully but 2019 is what we're using. So age segmentation. So we, we break up, we can break up the programs and who they serve into those different segment groups. Um, most of our programs are in the youth category. So 84% of our enrollment-based programs serve uh, youth. The benchmark nationwide typically is more in the 60 to 75% range and so that's definitely something for us to know as we move forward is how, how do we maybe make that a little bit more balanced. Um, we've already taken some measures to, um, to increase the number of adult, active adult opportunities that we have for the community. Um, and, and there's some different things in there too where we're, where we're trying to balance that out maybe a little bit more. Okay, so program performance. So looking at the data, so this is the enrollment data that we had for the programs that were in 2019. Uh, we ended up having 10,090 people sign up for programs of various sorts in, uh, in that year. As you can see, our top three were aquatics at 25%, youth sports at 19%, and inclusive and adaptive programming was at 18%. Nationwide, um, the aquatics and youth sports, that's pretty much on par, I think, with what a lot of parks and recreation departments typically offer. The one surprising thing, and this is, this is a very positive thing in my belief, is the inclusive and adaptive is generally much lower in terms of percentage of programs offered through parks and recreation departments nationwide. And so we're, we are succeeding there in that we do have a lot of opportunities, we do have a lot of people that are participating in those inclusive and adaptive programs. Cancellation rates. This was this was high, and we knew this was high. We're working on this to to lower this down. Um, in 2019, 26% of our programs that we offer were canceled. This was before COVID. Um, so one out of every four programs that we were putting out there, we were canceling. And there's usually two reasons for that. The first reason being. Um, that you're introducing new programs, you're not sure if they're gonna go, you're throwing some things against the wall, see if they stick. The other thing is that, we're, that, that may cause high cancellation rates is you're not necessarily attuned to what the community is wanting, and you're putting a lot of effort and um, time and staff resources forth to making those programs, to doing the program, creating the syllabus, doing all these different things, and then not having it run. The benchmark is 12 to 15 percent being the most ideal. 20 percent is probably the maximum amount, amount that you want to see. We have done some things in the meantime 
to make sure that we're being more mindful of the programming that we're offering to the community. There's a lot of different things that we hope come from this, um, from this master plan also that give us more direction to what the community is wanting so that we're more in touch with them. And then also on the backside of that, utilizing different tools to make sure that we follow up with surveys and things of that sort. So I would say in, in 2022, we're only halfway through the year, but I would, I would think that based on some of those changes that we've made, that we would be getting closer to that 20% or less at this point, but definitely some things that we have to work on. Um, of the 2019 figures, part participant residency rates, um, we had 79% of uh, residents, of, of people that were enrolled in our programs were, were residents. Actually, surprisingly, we had more people that were residents enrolled in uh, swim programs. I, I would, my, my guess would have been, I thought we were bringing more people out from outside the community for swim lessons in particular, but we're finding that that actually was not the case. Um, participant reach, you all saw the, the hotspot map and your report that kind of showed the university. There's not a lot of people that participate in our programs in this area, this downtown area, but if you go further out, there's different areas. Um, we want to drill into that a little bit more closely as we um, get our final report approved, learn more about the different areas that may not have as much participation and how can we target those, um, those different neighborhoods to ensure that they're actually able to know about the programs that we have, we provide them the information and they can participate in our programs. Um, to go along with that, another thing that we would want to promote, if we find that uh, income is sometimes a barrier to participate in those programs, we want to talk about our REC assist and get that information out to those neighborhoods as well. And free bus passes. And free bus passes, yes, thank you. Our REC and RIDE program. Um, in a financial review, the, one of the things about Iowa City is that we're, we're, we're not necessarily as concerned with cost recovery on our, our different programs. We want to try to find ways for people to be able to participate in these programs, and that's why we're heavy advocates of uh, the REC Assist program that takes off 50% of, uh, of people's passes and program enrollments. But with that said, the department's goal is around 40% cost recovery. And in 2019, it was 39%. I believe that 2018 was like 37.5%. Um, and so it is, it is around what the um, department is generally looking for. So we had a couple, a couple of tasks for our staff. So um, the first one was a life cycle analysis, looking at the inventory of the programs that we had back in 2019. We wanted to assess, are these, are these programs growing? Are they becoming stagnant? You know, so if they're stagnant programs that affects our cancellation rates, um, what kind of marketing are we doing for our different programs? Um, so those were the different four phases there that our staff identified as being included in those different groups. The majority of programs should typically be in the growth and maturity stage. And our programs, 62% of our programs aligned with that. 19% um, in the decline stage is somewhat high. That, that's typically when you got to look at repositioning your program or, um, or canceling your program altogether, not offering it anymore. And so we had a high number in 2019, which also probably explains the high cancellation rates that we had. Um, to go along with our uh, DEI initiatives, this was one of the things that we challenged the consultants that we had to, to be a partner with us in this journey as we um, 
tried to figure out more ways for us to be able to assess if our programs are meeting the mark from a, from a community's perspective and if we're engaging the community at the level that we need to be engaging them. And so they helped us create this matrix that we used. This was also a staff identified um, where we went looked at each one of our programs and looked to see if they um, fall in one of those categories. And so that's kind of a summary there of, of what they were asked to, to look at, several, several factors in diversity, equity, inclusion. And then those were our highest and lowest scoring factors there. Um, one of the things that we we'll want to make sure that we're doing moving forward is establishing goals both within our recreation division and department-wide that will help move the needle towards greater equity and, and program opportunities for the public. Um, similar providers was also looked at as part of this recreation master plan. There was nine key similar providers in the community. Um, those, are, those are different organizations that offer similar opportunities to ours, so we just want to make sure other partnership opportunities, are there gaps to be filled, um, and we want to make sure that we're not duplicating services if we can avoid that. Uh, community needs assessment alignment. So this is where, so we've been talking about the data side of things. We've been looking at how the data stacks up. Now, now that we have the data, we bring in the observations from the community engagement perspective. So as a reminder, that included all the different aspects that we had uh, for gathering community feedback. And so here's some of the highlights, some of the observations that were made. Um, one of the questions that we wanted to make sure that we were asking the public is, do you feel welcome? Do you feel invited to come to the recreation centers? Do you feel welcome to come to our swimming pools? Um, or is that a barrier to people? And, and, and if it's a barrier, what is the reason for that? And so we asked some very pointed questions in our surveys. And we actually found in the survey that, the statistically valid survey, that most households actually felt welcome in our facilities. Um, there was some that expressed a desire to continue offering recreation opportunities that promote a sense of community, belonging, and inclusion of diverse cultures. And that's something that we agree with. We want to continue doing that as well. Um, some of the focus groups, and these were um, what we found with the focus groups, there was a lot of organizations that hadn't had um, ties in with parks and recreation for quite some time, or maybe ever, um, especially with some of like our social services groups and nonprofit groups that we that we asked to be a part of that. Um, and some of them, some of them stated that they that there was things that we could do to um, increase diversity of staff. Um, and a variety of different things that we could do to make people feel more welcome here. So that's going to be something that we're going to look more into and want to make sure that we're hitting the mark there. Um, STEAM programming um, is one of the types of core programs that we offer. Um, from the statistically valid survey, it was interesting here. One in 11 people said that that was one of their top programs that they wanted, one of their top four programs. However, 72% of the households in that survey, same survey, um, with unmet needs in STEAM programming, continue to place an emphasis in STEAM. And so they, they didn't feel like their needs were being met in that area. So that's, that's identified as one of our gaps that we need to fill. Um, same thing with nature programs, the, the statistically valid survey. Um, people said that that was one of the things that they definitely wanted to see more of, um, nature and outdoor programs. 
And it was estimated from that survey that there's 8,600 households with unmet needs in that area. So there's a huge opportunity for us to expand our nature and outdoor programming uh, to better meet the needs of the community. Youth sports, 63% um, from that survey who had a need for youth sports indicated that their needs were fully or mostly met. And so we, we do seem to be, for the most part, being able to provide what people are wanting there. Um, we do have opportunities to somewhat stray away from some of the traditional sports and be able to continue to look at um, more like lifestyle types of sports and uh, other opportunities that can be provided there. Pickleball. Pickleball, yeah. We actually have done a, a tri pickleball class a couple times and we actually had to cancel that, but we're, we're gonna look at different, op different timings for that. Um, aquatics, community engagement, 31%. Um, so this was our, our pop-up events that we had. 31% were interested in aquatics programming um, and that tied for our top interests that people indicated that they were um, most wanting to see. The survey had 55% of households had youth learn to swim programs um, were, were being met. There's a lot of people that, 45% of people not having their youth learn to swim needs being met is a big deal. And that's something that we, we definitely want to continue to address. Um, so that's, that's listed as one of our gaps to fill because there's definitely a strong interest in the aquatics programming side of things, but then people indicating that their needs aren't being fully met. Uh, farmer's market, not surprising, a lot of people indicated that that was one of their most important activities in the community. Um, and most of them said that their needs were being met in that, in that department. And that's something that we definitely pride ourselves in, in the farmer's market. Um, so it's great to see that. Adult fitness and wellness. So we, we don't actually have a lot of opportunities here currently. Um, and, and this was definitely the case back in 2019 with the data where I think 1.2% of our programs that were offered were in fitness and wellness. And so we almost had 11,000 households, that's estimated from that statistically valid survey, that have a need for adult fitness or wellness programs. Um, so that's definitely something that we want to look at. We also had a lot of people indicating that they wanted a um, uh, indoor walking or jogging track. And so that was definitely something that we were looking at as well. Inclusive and adaptive recreation. So. Even though our number is, is high there, there was there was a lot of people. So I'm just I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I have to leave in seven minutes, and then this whole thing just goes away. Okay. Um, or I guess you're giving the additional continued need for informational purposes because. Oh, oh, are you looking for us to write on anything? No, no. this, is, this no. is informational tonight to bring it to get any comments. Perfect. So before I leave, though, because I don't think you're going to have time to wrap up. I, I can I can wrap it up because I would like to move to item number nine before we depart, which are items for the future agenda. Okay. I can wrap it up here. So the observations was really the biggest thing that I wanted to touch on, because this is how it ties in the data that we have for program enrollment with the community engagement. So inclusive and adaptive rec is the other, um, is the other gap that we have to fill where there's 2,500 households that said that their, their needs were not being met in that area. Let me just double check and make sure that there was anything else that I wanted to Sure, sure. There's a lot of opportunities for us paying attention to trends. And then um, we do have programs and service recommendations, which that is in your packet. So feel free to look at those 
and those are going to be some of the things that we're going to be looking at moving forward for goals for our department and division. And then we're also looking at some key performance indicators. So that's going to be something that we're going to be looking to, to, to develop to make sure that we're tying what we're doing moving forward in with what was stated in the preparation of support. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, I just didn't. No, you're fine. I didn't think more than an hour and a half. Yeah. 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 Can we just jump to item number five? Yeah. So two things that like I'm kind of coming away from this meeting. I know like we're not talking about the facilities. At least it's not an agenda item. But based upon all the stuff we talked about, I think you know we're going to need to talk more about the facilities issues. So there's like two things that I want to know more about. I appreciate that maybe you're having some meeting in the interim between today and the next commission meeting. Is that accurate? Yes. And who is that with? So that's with, I think, four or five representatives of the same Broadway Lee pool group, and myself and Jeff Irwin, city manager. So our, our intent is to walk through their concerns, provide information, get some more, you know, yeah, and, and that'll be summarized for all of you back. Yeah, so the two things I would like to put on the agenda for next time for you to come back and explain. I want to know about the budget variance issue between the like $479,000 on one hand to like nominally fix the pool and the $4.7 million to I guess fix the pool plus other things. So like I just want to understand a little better like where one comes from the other, how possible it is to do one versus the other, how how integrated they are. Like you can't really fix the pool unless you also fix the roof, unless you also fix the foundation stuff. Like I just want to know more about that. We will definitely have it all laid out so that it's understandable and you can see where all that. And we'll go over that in our meeting on the twenty whatever it is um, with the group too. So rest assured, we will we will explain all of that. The other thing, and I don't know like whether it's possible to come to some resolution on this, but there seems to be like some uh, conflict over utilization data. Yeah. So and I can explain one quick thing about that. The reason that we started reporting the number of lap swimmers only at Robert A. Lee is because if you remember two months ago, that was the biggest concern. Everyone was saying the lap lanes are always full. So because of that and because we were told by the, the public was telling you that our numbers from our front counter weren't accurate, that's why we started just taking snapshots of actual lap swim numbers in the pool using our the security cameras really only look at those lap lanes. They can't see the waiting pool, I can't see a couple of the other areas. But it gives us a great snapshot of actual swimmers in the water. Does that exactly match our entrance data? No, because we're doing it at prescribed times, just to give you an idea of whether the six lap lanes are being used or not. Not completely a scientific, just giving you those snapshots so you can see that throughout the day, at these particular times, this is the number of bodies moving in the lap lanes. We don't count aqua fitness because, A, I can't see the entire area where they're at, and they're a registered program. So it was done primarily because the assertions being made were the number of black swimmers in the lap lanes was too much for the pool to handle. And so we're giving you accurate visual counts of actual swimmers swimming. Okay. Not deep end, not, not any of those other areas. We know that. In the interest of time, we'll continue. Yeah, that was it. Those are just the two things I wanted to like. And maybe you could say more about that, the utilization data counting later. I mean, I guess like if I was, you know, speaking out loud, like I hear on the one hand, this is what we did, this is how we did our counting, 
I hear on the other, like, well, but actually when I'm there on the ground, this is what I hear. And I'm trying to kind of like balance in my mind. And then, and then you hear like kind of a third comment, which is sort of like assumes bad faith, like you cooked the books, you cooked the numbers. I, I kind of find that a little offensive. Um, I mean, you know, these are like public servants and, and I'm not gonna impute like fraud or malfeasance on their part. So if I kind of like put that to the side, which I sort of disregard completely, is how, how much distance and daylight is there between your counting and the methodology that you're using to count and uh, the anecdote data, which comes from people who are actually in the pool, how far apart is that? And is there a way to like, get a more accurate picture in the middle? Uh, because of course, like, part of the argument is the pool gets used a lot. And actually, you, know, you can justify based on how much it gets used to invest more money, or whether it's like 4.7 million or 600,000, whatever. I'd love to know more about that. But if there could be like, less daylight between those two and like, maybe try and understand a more accurate count, that would be helpful for me. And I think from like all of the pools, if that, you know, I mean, from all three, just so we can kind of compare that too, but I would kind of like raw numbers of yeah. people in walking through each door. So you have that in your practice, you sub for Robert but they do have that information now. We've started pulling it from our active net as well. So from now on, every report, every month, we'll get a report of the three pools. So we're, we can definitely go through all that. And that's part of what we plan to go over with Yeah, anything else from other commission members well, for this before we move forward? One quick question. Um, because a lot of um, uh, questions or comments or whatever were about like, um, the diversity of populations being able to utilize the facility because it's such, um, centrally located. Do you have data? Are, are, those, are diverse populations coming here to use the facility? Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, I think that that's. We do have data on that that we can show you. Um, they're actually going to register, but. Is there anything as far as the pickleball? Like it sounds like there's some little quick fixes that can make a big difference. Like is that so there is I forget the dollar amount there is a project for 2023 for the pickleball courts at Mercer. I think 175000 for both tennis courts at City Hall, City Park and Mercer, and then an additional nine hundred and fifty thousand for the athletic fields at Mercer, the baseball fields. So our intent is to put those projects together. Um, so that we can hopefully have a little more for pickleball. We understand there's issues there. They aren't that old, of course, but obviously there's issues. So, can one of you go out there and spray the wasps now? I can quickly cover quick fixes. We've patched all the cracks in the last month. We put up new windscreens and slats to try some new things out. And we actively spray wasps everywhere in the whole system. That's why we must have been out of the wasps today. Um, but we're actively addressing those. And we put the one bench there. If we find some others, yes, we can yeah. add more bench. And like every project, right now we're getting this consultant on board. And there will be outreach meetings to all the user groups, to the law groups, the school district, in that case, the baseball teams, to really design the project. Thank you. All right, with that, we appreciate all the comments. So, unfortunately, so, but appreciate all the work by staff and all the feedback. So, welcome to a journey.